Hey guys, welcome back to the Detour Live. I'm your host, Dan Jones, and I've unfortunately lost my voice. Uh, so I'm just going to battle through oh, the best I can. I'm joined, as always, by four-time national road champions, uh, John Trevorrow, Olympic gold medalist, Scott McGorry, rejoins the panel. Well, and you lost your memory as well. Oh, no, mate, I'm, I'm backs against the wall. It's stage 14. I thought I could get to Paris, but, guys, I'm going to need some help on this show. I'll, I'll just be the referee. I'll just sit there and make sure that if he doesn't cut people off. And who's the bloke down the bottom? Uh, yeah, uh, Phil Liggett, voice of Cycling. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. thank you. Oh, yeah. 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 Thought I recognised him. Now, now, Dan, how did you lose your voice, mate? So what happened is I'm on a bit of a lads weekend up here in Rye, beautiful Rye, um, and I brought the guitar. And stupidly, last night, I got excited and played probably four or five 1990s power ballads and gave it everything. But unfortunately, the voice just caved in. I'm no Celine Dion, I'm no Brian Adams, and I've just caved. So I woke up this morning and thought, ooh, lemon tea, honey, hasn't worked. I've tried to recover, but uh, boys, I, as I said, I'm just going to take a bit of a backseat on today. <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought it was cheering for Mark Cavendish. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you could step up at the plate, particularly you, Iffy, but just don't cut oh, people yeah. off. Don't cut people off. <laughs> Change my motors up, Barandi. Okay. Well, let's start with Cav. We just brought it up. Well, oh, yeah. he's equal the record, mate. You know, I know he's not uh, – Phil, he's not quite there on count back, but he's equaled uh, Eddie Burke's 34 wins. Pretty amazing sprint. What did you think of it, Phil? Oh, heavens above. It was a pleasure to call. Of course, it was only because Miko Morkoff, his lead-out man, slowed down in time to let Cav go past him. But Cav <laughs> – is take nothing from Cav, nothing at all. And Cav was a hero this morning. His comments, he says, do not compare me to Eddie Merckx. He isn't Eddie Merckx. He knows that. It doesn't matter. He's won 34 stages of the Tour de France at his speciality, which is sprinting. He's the best sprinter this race has ever, ever known, and he's the best sprinter in the world. See, all the kudos is purely for him. It was fabulous yesterday. And it was such a hard way to to stay in that peloton and to control that peloton. So he was able to sprint. And that's why he was so tired at the finish. He rode in the first half dozen, dozen riders the whole day uh, to make sure he was there for that sprint in a very uh, technical approach in Carcassonne. Uh, I think it's the first time in the history we've been there. Uh, we've had a bunch sprint in Carcassonne. Normally the rider who wins comes in alone. So yeah. he did it. That's all that matters. He did it. And, I just, I really, I'm serious. He, he was in the interview I saw on British television. He said, "I'm knackered. I'm totally exhausted." He was could hardly speak. So what worries me is, he's got these hard days coming now through the Pyrenees. He's got to finish them. Can his team get him through? So maybe he'll get that win number thirty-five, either stage nineteen or stage twenty-one. Then he would be the top dog, wouldn't he? Yes, and Scooter. Um... That was a bit of an interesting uh, uh, finale. It wasn't the textbook uh, De Koenig uh, uh, quick step. It started that way, but then others, uh, 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 DSM, came roaring past it, all changed. So what were your thoughts on that final 400 metres? 
yeah, it was. So we've we've had several days or several stages now where obviously Mark's been the quickest, but the team has been just so strong to set him up. It was almost like the old Cipollini days when there was only one lead out yeah. train and Chippo could step out at 150 meters to go. Mark's been stepping out at you know 150, even 100 meters to go. To Koenig had been doing such a good job, but he had to go and find him his uh, lead out man Moku again last night. He got sort of taken off the wheel, a little bit more interesting, and. Um, I actually watched uh, uh, Mark Renshaw doing his little take on the sprint stage from yesterday, and he was correct in that when DSM came past, they've gone around the left-hander, got out in front, but then they went down the middle of the road, which just left both sides open for riders to come back again. And to Koenig, you know, the gap was there. Had they gone to the left-hand side of the road, that would have completely boxed in the Takuni mm. guys, and Mark may not have come away with that uh, stage win. I'm not trying to stop Cavendish from winning it, but that's one of the scenarios that could have happened. Um, so, yeah, all, all kudos to them. You know, they've got so much confidence. You know, they're waiting. They know when they, to go. And, and uh, Mark had to do a little bit extra than what he's had to do in the last few sprint stages. And we're still fast enough to come away. And look, Michael Mer- Merkel, Morku coming away with second on the stage, um, he would have won if, you know, if it wasn't for him going for the record, Cav may have actually gifted him that stage win, but uh, not in these situations. So all this no, no. An impressive uh, Philipson uh, for his third. That's his fifth time on the podium. So it was a stage his teammate won uh, in stage three. He finished second. And every one of uh, Cav's wins, um, Philipson has been on the, po- on the podium. So it's very impressive. Yeah. But I reckon um, Johnny – he would trade. He would prefer to finish um, five times one hundred and fiftieth to get one stage win. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, maybe, maybe. it's still impressive. It's still impressive. He's been right there, very quick. Uh, he probably won't get to win one, but uh, I wouldn't say definitely not because he'll be in the mix in these next two uh, sprint stages. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey fellas, hey. I want to ask you about um, Eddie Merckx's comments where he said. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep if Cav beats the record. But then went on to talk about how he won, um, you know, not just sprints, mountaintops, all this sort of stuff like Michael Jordan-esque to basically say, don't forget, I'm the greatest. Whereas if I was talking to Eddie, I'd say, mate, don't show your cards. We know you're the greatest. You don't need to say it. But being super competitive, and that's why he was the best ever cyclist, he's openly saying, don't forget me, guys. I'm still the greatest. (laughs) What are your thoughts, uh, Phil? Well, we're going back uh, over 50 years when I used to race against Eddie and I could never beat him. And I told him that fact 20 years later. I think I told the story the other week. And uh, I went to Eddie's home. And I said to Eddie, this is Eddie, by the way, shaking hands when Cav was a world champion on the velodrome. Better times. They look pretty good friends there. They look pretty good friends there. Look, these two are not enemies in any way. Oh, no. no, no. You know, when I told Eddie uh, I I didn't turn pro because I couldn't beat him, he just looked at me 20 years later, remember, and said, look me up and down and said, you beat me. Well, that's the way Eddie thinks. Um, he yeah. knew how good he was. I asked him, why don't you just lose one or two races, Eddie? Because my newspapers in the UK are getting tired of me having to do the same story every day. He says, because the people come to see me win, so I must win. And, that, and, he, and he could win. His greatest ever stage winning of his 34 in the Tour de France was very early on in his first tour. Uh, when he had the yellow jersey on, he rode away and beat the peloton by many, many minutes in the yellow no, jersey. Yeah, nine I think it was nine minutes, John. I, I did, yeah, wasn't going to stick yeah. my neck out, but you did. Good lad. And yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I tell you, he believes in himself, but 
Yeah. Cav, as Cav said, he said, don't please don't compare me to Eddie Merckx. And Cav has openly never, ever looked to this record. He, he doesn't want to talk about it. Clearly, he would like to do it, but he didn't want to talk about it. And when I watched uh, Seb, the radio tour interview, speak to him three days ago, and Cap says, don't mention the name. Please don't mention the name. Because he didn't want him to say, you're going to get Eddie's record now. Don't mention the name. He wouldn't let him tell him. No, uh, look, it's it's a press build-up as far as I'm concerned. I, yeah. I, I like both these riders for very special reasons. And um, now they've both got 34 wins. That's pretty yeah. good for me. That's right. Yeah, the, the, the only, sorry, guys. Yeah. The, the only similarity is that um, they have the equal number of stage wins. That's it. After that, completely. <laughs> you don't uh, mention the eighteen second places of Eddie Merckx and the three second places of no. Mark Cavendish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. mention yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, different. Lines. Yeah. Hey, um, think, um, talking about sorry, sorry. sorry. Um, <laughs> how you were talking about uh, Eddie <laughs> Bill, um, and when you said that you know you weren't going to beat him, that reminds me of a story that uh, so one of my six day partners for a, a long time was Matthew Gilmore. His father, Graham Gilmore, was also a successful six day rider back in the day, and a very handy road rider. But he's very well known, or much more known, for his track and six day palmares. Mm. And uh, he, used to, he used to tell the story of being in the team with Eddie. Not sure what race it was. It was Cobblestones, not Roubaix, but it was a Cobblestone race. There was a breakaway, and Eddie and Graham went together to ride across to the break. And Graham, they were approaching this really difficult section of, of cobbles, and it's flatlands. Graham was really strong, really fast, very powerful, and he was thinking to himself as he was swapping turns, turn for turn with Eddie on the flat. Yeah, look, you know what? He doesn't seem that strong. You know, I think I can handle myself. And as they got to that section of cobbles. Eddie turned to him and said, I must leave you now, my friend. And Graham thought, <laughs> come on, you bit of a wake as if you're going to do that. And he <laughs> rode away. He said there was nothing he could do. He just rode away from him yeah. on the cobbles. Yeah. And Graham thought, yeah. yeah, fair enough. This guy's pretty good. <laughs> well, just to, if we're going to tell stories about Eddie, if you want, one more thing. At the Amstel Gold Race in uh, in the 60s, no, it would be in the, in the 70s, I, there was a great six-day rider. It happened called Gerard Kuhl, uh, but he was a good road rider too. And I, I went up to him at the start of the Amstel Gold and I said, Gerard, uh, who's going to win the race today? He looked at me and said, Phil, he said, if, uh, if Eddie Merckx has come here to win the race, we all race for second. Just like that. The race hasn't started. We all race for second. That's how good he was. Eddie used to, uh, he used to point at the, go to the front of the peloton and point at the climbs on some of these classics and say, next lap. I attack here. He told the races he was going to attack there, and he would, and he went. He invited them to go with him. He was a very special guy. We mustn't forget it. Phil, do we have to put in perspective as well the era that Eddie raced in? They didn't have computers. They didn't have these oh, race radios. Don't they, stop. He, yeah, don't it, stop it was all We've only got an hour. So surely that's probably worth <laughs> double the victories given all the technology and the lead-out trains they got now. Yeah, well, that's why Eddie has to tell the riders because they had no race radios to tell them. Uh, so he has to tell them what he was going to do, you see. Oh, no, he was a superstar. He was a superstar. And like you, Phil, I was lucky enough to race against him as well. Uh, did you, and, uh, did like, you beat him? Like you, uh, yeah, I did. I, one can miss. Uh, I think I finished 23rd and he finished 27th. <laughs> <laughs> that's good enough but, for me, John. <laughs> yeah, uh, good enough. But um, I could, there was a couple of years there. 75, 77, around that time yeah. where he wasn't the best, where Freddie Martins had his measure in, in nearly every race they raced. You know, that he was beating him comfortably in the time trials, and that was when Freddie won eight stages in the Tour de France. Uh, I think he 
won the world in the end, but it was almost when the Giro crashed. But other than the really big mountains, which Freddie wasn't quite as good as, as Eddie, everywhere else, he, he was actually better than Freddie for that shirt, short period of time. He developed a bit of a twitch not long after that, and uh, he wasn't quite as good. But that's another story. Yeah. yeah but don't Friday central Eddie... nervous system. <laughs> <laughs> but Eddie had that terrible crash behind his pace, uh, uh, Wamps, who died in that collision, which really hit Eddie very, very hard. First of all, he lost a friend when the, when the Derny ride was killed. Eddie himself really hurt his back, and it, that back has never repaired, by the way. He still suffers pain, and um, his riding was never as good again. No. Yeah. And if, oh, he, if he, he won a few tours first... to France after that, he, he actually, you know, he, he still won. Ah, he limped through. Uh, him. Yeah, yeah that's why he pulled out. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't measure up to Lewis O'Connor in '73 because he didn't start, yeah. and then O'Connor didn't come in '74, so Eddie won. Ah, so it, well, hey, we're talking about yeah. Mark Cavendish. Yeah, I was going to say, Phil, in terms of Cav, people comparing, obviously, as I've said, with Eddie because of the record, but there's such different riders, different generations, all that kind of stuff. We know what Freddie, uh, sorry, Freddie, Eddie, Eddie was winning on all terrain. Mark is a pure sprinter. So I think, you know, it goes without that, saying that, that, that Mark, Mark exactly, is the exactly. best sprinter of all time. Um, yeah. Unless you guys, Phil and, and John, you know, who were, like you had Cipollini before, before Cavendish, but Cavendish has gone through, you know, was 13 years now. He's been through so many of the top ranked sprinters going back, you know, to, mm. to Robbie McEwen as well. And, um, and all these riders mm. have come through, but, you know, I think he's the best we've ever seen. Basso was a good sprinter way back in the day. Um, mm. What are some of the other great sprinters that we might be able to compare well, Cavendish to? Well, there are plenty, but you know, the new crop of sprinters, which were coming through and at the same time, Cav seemed to be losing his, his sprinting ability, I thought, well, this is it because these new boys are quick and he's looking very, very average. And yet Cav's got himself back in, his brain back into gear. He is no longer living on his pure emotions. He's loving his sport now. He's loving being back with the team. He is sprinting as fast as he did in the old days. And all of a sudden, these up-and-coming sprinters who were really quick are now looking very ordinary. Because Cav has found his best sprinting legs once more, and he's gone back straight to the top. So um, he's making the sprinters look as though they're all a little bit ordinary now. You know what yeah. else has come back? Mm. He was very, very humble uh, before stage one, knowing that you know he got the start because Sam Bennett didn't ride, so he came in sort of by default. Now he's obviously more than justified himself within the race. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it does appear that uh, he's got his mojo back as well, and there's a little yes. bit of aggro, a bit of attitude coming back, and the mm. old Cav that used to piss a few people off, that seems to have returned as well. Yeah, it does. I do wish he'd stop swearing every time he wins a stage, because I have to apologise to the American audience, but uh, <laughs> what can I do? Cav is Cav. And, of course, all the foreign riders on his team who swear, uh, they don't really understand the, the power of the swear word because it's not their language. They're just being what they are, you know. Anyway, it's it's a dream come true. And in many ways, this Tour de France has been pretty pretty exciting. Very newsworthy. Hey, Scooter, do you reckon Cav will ride next year, like given the results this year? Uh -huh. 
Mm. Okay, that's a good question because um, with the rider as competitive as him and as a sprinter as well, right? So we're not talking about, you know, you're talking about your Robbies and your, your Cipollinis, these guys that they they like to keep winning. It's a, it's a real mm. addiction, you know, that they go out there and, and there's a real attitude. You, you have to have that as well. You have to have that approach that you are better than the others. It's your race to win. How dare anybody else try to beat me? That kind of approach, you know, um, mm. the hustle and bustle of these these sprints he's so good at the moment that you would think that he would love to continue on but you know i guess he's going to get to a point where he is only going to slow down um and Mm. the faster guy like caleb isn't there doesn't matter that he's not there because you can only beat who's on the road and caleb crashed out that's his own fault you know he'll be back next year um so it i think it's probably best for kaz um if he has i don't know the um the strength of character to retire on top. I think this would be a perfect scenario. And um, maybe if he doesn't win the next bunch sprint, but then wins on the Champs-Élysées, takes the mm. record, that would be the perfect time to hang it up right at the very, very top. But I don't know. I, I really think that uh, he would probably want to go on with it. But, um, yeah, it's up to him. You know, he can retire whenever he wants. He's the greatest sprinter of all time. If he wants to spend another two or three years and just decline and slowly fade away, hey, all to him. Good on him, whatever. He, and I'll tell you what, he loves his family too, and he's not going to spend too much time with them just now. Um, he, you know, he's a, he's a Scouse speaker, really, because he comes from the Isle of Man. And his wife is from Essex, which is just down the road here. You know about all the tales of the blondes from Essex. Well, they're all talking about it here. I live in Hertfordshire, which is the neighbouring county, and I know what we think of the Essex people. Anyway, Cav <laughs> keeps saying, you know what? I hate, I hate Essex. I hate it, he says. And my kids are all speaking like them people from Essex. They don't like it. It's a horrible accent. And I thought, it's a horrible accent, Mark. And you've got this one from, from, from the Isle of Man, pure scouse. So, okay, well, whatever turns you on, go for it, man. Yeah. Well, so it might move away if uh, if he retires. I don't, I, don't reckon, I don't reckon he'll retire. No way. I he, think you're right. He, he's a racer. He's back in the best form, equal to the best form of his career. There's no way he's not coming back. He's loving it. Well, yeah, but you know, the next year, years. He, he will be, so if he goes forward, well, I think you're probably both right that he will continue, but he'll be up against Sam Bennett. He'll be up against Caleb Bjorn. Um, you know, may have mm-hmm. Viviani back to to his best. He's had a couple of, uh, or this last year and a half hasn't been been so good. Mm-hmm. Dylan Grunewagen might be back. You know, you're going to have mm-hmm. all these guys that aren't there now that he'll be up against. And if he runs fourth in every stage next year, mm-hmm. then he'd probably be wishing that he retired this year. But, um, yeah, hey, it's up to Cav. He's, he's on incredible form. This has been an amazing comeback, hands down. You know, the last couple of yeah. years have been a, a tragic tragic story for him and he's come back from that resurrected himself um and yeah it's just been an amazing story hey lads uh another big talking point obviously was the crashes and iffy we can't blame you for it but samantha says who put the bad juju on bike exchange enough already Mm. obviously with simon yates and lucas hamilton unfortunately abandoning from the race uh we'll Mm. hopefully have matt white on soon but geez they must be gutted if he in the bike exchange team and also with the women's team we'll talk about that later on they had a nasty crash with three riders going down as well yes uh it'll be interesting to uh, talk with whitey who will become coming on pretty soon uh to find out uh, how they are there's lucas evidently dislocated shoulder uh but i think yeah. he's gonna be all right for the olympics i don't think simon was as bad but simon was always going to pull out in the next couple of days anyway so you might have just thought you know what why continue i guess 
Mm, he was holding his left hip, I think it was, when as the cameras left him, it, and yeah. that's why he retired that painful yeah. hip. Uh, because yeah. we actually talked to Matt White after the crash live on American TV from his car. Uh, you know what Matt's like, very laid back, philosophical. Okay, we've had a problem, we've got to go forward and sort it out. Uh, but he did say that Lucas had broken something at the time, he thought he'd done his collarbone. Um, you're telling me it's his shoulder, John. I don't know, but let's hope. I, I was sorry Lucas went, as I was with Jack Hay, because yeah. those two guys, I wanted to see what they were going to do by Paris, and I think there would have been good results. Hey, Scooter, yeah. does this just reiterate why it was a good decision for Vanderpol to pull out when he wanted when he wanted to <laughs> to prepare for the Olympics? Because how many riders now that were going to be riding the Olympics have, have crashed? Yeah, it's going to be. It makes it really challenging, doesn't it? The games with um, and with the women's, uh, as you mentioned, Dan. We'll talk about that in a moment. But that also uh, reflects badly on what might happen in the road race and the time trial at the Olympic Games. But for for Matthew. Slightly different situation in that he made the decision to stop because, not because of, he's going to be doing the road race, but because he's going to be doing the mountain bike. And he just needs that extra bit of time to just hone his technique and his skills and the intensity that he needs for a mountain bike race, which is only an hour and a half long, much more like a, a cyclocross race. So he needs a little bit of extra time to recover from what he's done here at the Tour de France to then actually make sure that he's in absolutely flying form for a very high intensity event like the mountain bike. But yeah, you're right with all the crashes that have continued to happen. I'm sure he's quite thankful. Um, mm. But, you know, with him and, and also Wout van Aert, you know, the most skillful riders in the peloton um, have kind of avoided all of those little mishaps as well. Um, maybe it's just luck because, look, Caleb is also very skillful, but he dropped himself and took himself out of the race. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Matthew is uh, very pleased that he didn't continue and find himself on the deck. Look, this also goes into the track as well because we saw Roger Kluger go down and, and basically skin himself. His back looked oh. uh, horrific, and he's one of the favourites as a, a, a two-time world champion in the Madison. So he has three weeks to recover because the track at the Olympic Games is in the second week of the Games. So he has a little bit extra time to recover. But, um, yeah, so much of his energy now is going to be recovering from the crash and the injuries before he can even start to think about doing some track training and prepare uh, for the Madison. And he's going to be up against Michael Moku again, who is just in incredible form. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes in the Madison at the Olympics. But there's going to be a, a bunch of uh, half the peloton at the Olympic Games is going to be, um, and, and that includes Peter Sagan as well. You know, his injury, he's, he pulled out because of his knee injury from the crash with Caleb. He has to try and recover in time to be in good form for the Olympics. Although I think the course is probably too hard for him anyway. Well, I think so too. He's not riding the he's not riding the Madison, is he, Scott Sagan? No, no, he probably could though. No. He probably could. Well, but, that's um, what I was thinking. Why is he going to the Olympics? There's no put. There's nothing there for him. Um, so mm. I, I spoke to Peter. I interviewed Peter a couple of years ago at the Tour Down Under. Um, you know, three times world champion. He's done so much at the Tour de France and all the other races, Roubaix, Flanders. And a question was put to him by the crowd: if he only could win one more race, what would it be? And he immediately said. Could it be two? He said, no, one. You've got to select one more race in your career that you could win. What would it be? And he said, the Olympic Games road race. So yeah. I think he's just but This isn't his course. It's not his course, but I think he's also probably a little bit um, a little bit probably embarrassed that he chose to do mountain bike in Rio Bloody instead of the road race yeah. and saw Bloody Greg Van Avermaet go on to win. And yeah. back then, Peter was definitely a better climber than Greg. Greg got over the hills, much to Peter's surprise, 
got the win. Yeah. I think uh, Peter's regretted that ever since. And now, even though the course doesn't quite yeah. suit him, he's desperate to try and win an Olympic gold medal. Um, another comment. B. Foxcroft says, boys, coverage has been awesome. Will Bike Exchange now be all in on Chavez in the Pyrenees or is there enough left for Bling to steal the green? And, Dan, we all love a 90s power ballad, mate. Of course, Mr. Big, how can you go wrong? Hey, uh, if he, what, what, what are they going to do now? Well, I, I, don't, uh, I don't believe that uh, Michael Matthews can take the green. Matter of fact, uh, the only way he can take the green is if uh, uh, Bling gives it to him. Oh, sorry, if uh, uh, Cab yeah, gives it to him. So Bradbury. Cav's got to, has got to get uh, Mr. Time Cut, which is still a, a chance. But his big challenge now is that Phillipson's uh, uh, coming up. There's only now a couple of uh, points behind him. And I reckon he would be a, a, a big danger because he actually is pretty a lot faster than Michael. Mm. But uh, the other part of your question was uh, uh, Chavez. Yeah, bloody oath. I think uh, Chavez will be a really uh, big chance for a, for a stage win um, in one of those the three Pyrenean days coming up. Today would be a good one if he get the break. And he's about, tw- even though he's sort of like 14 to 15 or something, he's still about 25 minutes behind. So he could get into a break. And today is a, a tough old day. We go to Quillan, or Quillan, as we're to say, uh, which I remember last time I was there. A couple of years ago, Quillon, yeah, uh, we stayed at Mike and Debbie's English couple got a beautiful house there. So shout out to Mike and Debbie. I know they watched the uh, the podcast. Uh, they looked after us absolutely brilliantly. So uh, just really upset that I can't be in uh, Quillon uh, uh, this year. Hey, just on Chavez, yeah. right? Just quickly, why would Chavez finish fourteenth on the stage on Von Two, right? When if you're going to sit up and conserve energy and you're going for stages in the last part of the tour, what is the point? I don't understand. But he did sit up. He said he, he lost 20 minutes, but it's just that everyone that else. That makes more sense. Day. Yeah. But, he <laughs> did, but, but it's that. just that, that he's 20 something, five minutes, 25 minutes down, but uh, he's still in like a 14 to 15 place. That's how uh, it's quite crazy, some of the time gaps. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's in 14th place. He's 30 seconds behind Wout Van Aert. So the guy that yeah. ran second in a sprint stage a couple of days ago, um, which, yeah, which is, is That's a whole nice story. Scott. Always, always the great level of Scott. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, um, so my question about Chavez, and we all love him, okay? Of course we love um, Esteban. And I would absolutely like him to, to, to win a stage. I'd like to see any of the bike exchange guys come up and, and um, you know, do it justice for, for Jerry in particular, Jerry Ryan. Um, but mm. I just don't, I, I don't see it. I just don't see, even though he's in 14th yeah. place, he's 25 minutes behind. Now, the rider next behind him in 15th is Gardou. We saw, you know, him vomiting off the bike the other day. That's he you know, the situation he's in. He really, really mm. blew. And he's just the rider that's behind uh, Esteban in the overall classification. I hope that he's been saving it for the Pyrenees. But, you know, typically, you see this in, in, in every sort of grand tour, typically, is, is when the breakaways start to form as we get into the second week, it's the usual suspects. You get the same riders often. Yeah. The majority of the breakaways, the same faces every time because they are just the ones that are strong enough and on the right form as we get deeper into these grand tours. And we haven't seen Esteban feature in any of these moves so far. He is either doing the most incredible poker face or I just don't think he's got the form to be up the front. Um, and if he does yeah. make it into a break, I would suggest there's probably someone else that's going to climb better than him. And I hope I'm wrong. Well, things mm. change around. By the way, as we've been talking just now, Solon Craig Anderson is not starting the tour this morning or this evening, in your case. Um, uh, he's the guy that won the last winner before Cavin to 
Carcassonne, but he went down the ravine. We had the pictures of him climbing back up the grass bank yeah, yeah, and he yeah, finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just announced him not starting this morning. So well, we're down He's to 150 riders now. Problems with his team too, yeah. Phil. Hearing all these what, rumours coming out that he's fighting with uh, with DSM and wanting to get out of his contract, and they don't want to let him. Ah. Yes, all these sorts of situations. So maybe uh, it was an easy decision. You know, he's hurt himself. All right, I'm out of here. Oh, or maybe he's going to take up uh, hill walking now after the way he came out of the crash yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Got a, got a question for you, <laughs> Phil, from the Wheel Wizard, who's the weatherman. Uh, question for Phil and you guys: How much of the stages are shown in USA and Australia? Is it like Europe? We see the off, including the neutral zone. So, do you guys in NBC cover it from the beginning? Yes, we do. Uh, today we're on we're on a channel called NBCSN, and we do we, we cover it from. We have a studio, uh, six minutes or so, talking about the whole day in vision by the presenters over in Australia, in um, America. And then they come to me in London and Bob Roll uh, down in the studio by where they are. And we, we take the race from the minute the neutralised section starts till the very end. Today is a slight exception. We're on two hours later because we're on the national network NBC itself. Uh, and those viewers, of course, uh, are not just cycling experts. They, they just love television, I guess. So a little bit later, a bit of more streamlined show. Of course, as you, you know, American television does pump out the adverts. So we do a lot of adverts in the first two hours. And then we give them much more open space for the last two hours of the race. Try and get rid of the adverts so they can see the action. That's what we try to do. Yeah, it's good. They're long days. One day I, I commentated the other day for five and a quarter hours. Yeah. Hey, um, you said the, Phil, you said that the studio, um, you start with the studio before it comes to you guys in commentary. Yeah. Can you just yeah. take us through uh, who is, who are those I places, who are the people that... Normally the studio is on my television here, but as you can see, it's black. Yeah, they, but look um, how beautiful that big TV is, Phil. Oh, I, you've got to love that screen now. It's um, I can actually oh. see the riders whether they had a shave or not. It's amazing now. <laughs> um, it really is. It really is. But um, so my my the facts and figures tip monitor is now this one. You see, all those things you can see are actually the facts and oh, figures of the, cheat the standings, sheet. the results of the yeah. But the trouble is, it's so small I can't read it now. <laughs> so, so I can't win. But anyway, it's so, who, so who's in the yeah. studio? So I know Christian Vanderbilt right. is, is one yeah, of them. Yeah, we have Christian Vanderbilt who, who finished fourth in the Tour de France a few years back. Chris Horner, who won the Tour of Spain, the only American to win that race. And then we've got uh, Paul Bermeister, who is an all-round sports announcer. Absolute professional guy, loves this sport of cycling. Been our front man for a few years now, so he anchors the studio. And just down the corridor, but out of vision, in another little room, he's not in yet. He's in. It's called Bob Spy Cam. He's not in the office yet. Um, he comes in there and he calls it like me from a, this little windowless box. Uh, but we can see each other on spy cams and we can talk to each other as well in the breaks. But that's that's it. That's the scene. That's the set. We have two. Oh, sorry, I forgot through. to mention. We do have two two uh, two reporters on motos out at the race. And one that we used for the first time last year, Adam Blythe, who used to mm. race with Lotto Sudal. And it's, he's been an absolute bonus. Now, we, we talk the same language. He, he comes from where, not far from where I was brought up in Cheshire. And he talks as if he's talking to his mum when he, when he tells you stories. And it, he's been stopping the riders when they're racing back to the bus, which is not allowed, as you know, but no, so far so good. But he sees somebody say, like the, the other day, Philippe Gilbert, who raced on the races on the same Lotus Adel team that was once Adam. And he goes, Hey, Philippe, hang on. 
and this is how he talks. Hang on, uh, Gilby, come over here. Yeah, what's, what, what's happening? What's happened to you? And, and Philippe would say, oh, I just... Oh, good. He said, can we go for a ride tomorrow on the rest day? Yeah, yeah, fine, yeah. Okay, I've got to go. Okay, and he races back onto the pack. This is coming. We did all this live on television. <laughs> awesome. It is so natural. It's really yeah. great telly. And the, the viewers love Adam. He's, um, you know, I say, how are you going, Adam? When I, when I throw the link to him, there's about a four-second delay because he's in, obviously on the race. Then you go, I'm going all right. Thanks, Phil. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. And his motorbike's just bumped a team car. And he just goes, oh, sorry, mate. Uh, and then he starts <laughs> carrying on talking again. He's just hilarious at the time. Well worth a watch anyway. We're going to keep... Well, he writes the year Brad, with Brad, Oracle. Oracle. He was good. Yeah, isn't is Brad Wiggins? He's on the back of the motorbike as well. Is that yes, that uh, uh, on one occasion only this week, uh, Brad came up alongside on his motorbike, alongside Adam, made some comment which I couldn't quite catch. But he was smoking a cigarette on the race, which is not allowed. He was just... Oh, on the he goes, hey, all right, Adam, how are you doing? Hello, Braddy. Are you enjoying that cigarette? I just carried on smoking. All, all Different He's world like out there. Back at the Giro. Yeah. Exactly. He's but he, but if he was riding the Giro, that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we let you go, Phil, um, and before my voice gives out, uh, a couple more comments. Uh, Alan Davis says, hello, gentlemen. You're looking well. Thanks for the potty. Great input. Katrina, uh, Katrina, sorry. McDonald says, a stat for Scott. Cavers, 13 stage wins, 13 participated, 13 years after his Tour de France win. So lucky yes, and 13. Well done, well done Catriona, because uh, I was, uh, I actually said it yesterday on the coverage um, and I was pleased to see that the English television didn't work their way around to that. So I gladly missed that one. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you may you also... Um, 34 stage wins for 13 participants on stage 13 as well this time. Yeah, yeah you're quite right. Um, but also, the date. What was what date did Tommy Simpson die on Monbon Two, when Cav took his hat mm. off to salute him on the climb on Monbon Two? I'll tell you, it was Thursday. It was a Thursday night, July the 13th, 1967. Well, there you go. The seems go. to be unlucky for some, unlucky for others. Yeah. Uh, Sally says my, my it was great was to see. Like, well, I'm not sure that was looking for you. I, I suppose it wasn't expected, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. You fro um, well, froze the screen, Scotty. That froze the screen. Come on, Dan. Come on, Dan. It was, Sally says it was great to see Gripal having a go and Froomey riding at the front. Do you think this is their swan song? Gripal, I Gripal, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Maybe, and the guy cash. that won that day, Niels Pollitt, uh, was in the breakaway and won the stage that Greipel was in. It was Greipel who told him to go alone. He said, you the, mm. he went up to him in the breakaway and said, you're the strongest guy in this move, Niels. Attack. He didn't, he won. So that was amazing because Greipel had some <laughs> hope of winning the sprint, I guess, but it didn't work no, out. I, I, think, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think Greipel actually said, don't waste your attacks. Save it for later because I think he was hurting Greipel too much. But then, <laughs> yeah, Evidently, they're training partners. Now, I've had it being disputed because they didn't grow up anywhere near each other, as Cogs pointed out. But when, when, when uh, Grubber moved to Cologne quite a few years back, they started training together uh, before he was uh, before he was even pro, and Grubber sort of helped him out with old clothes and stuff like that. And now they're uh, uh, they were in the break together, so it's, it's a lovely story. Yeah. How's yeah. this comment, boys? 
Stuart McIntosh, my wife is watching the podcast for the first time. She reckons she'll be back again as she loves the husky voice <laughs> of the young bloke <laughs> in the top left-hand corner. He's my the way through the roof tonight. The young bloke. i tell you what. Oh, you're uh, going to go to bed happy tonight, some, that's for sure, Dan. I'm just going to keep every night busting out a few power ballads, just keep the voice at that husky level. What, what, were, the, what were the songs, it. mate? What were the and your voice, I always what open up. I always open up with Mr. Big, then I go Summer of 69, then I go Save Tonight, then I go Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer, and I finish with Oasis Wonderwall, and I've got the crowd pumping, and I walk away. I go, that's it, boys. Enough's enough. Mic always drop. five. Mic <laughs> drop. I'm always five. Um, oh, Matt Pointer yeah. says, Scooter, send me some Oakleys. You got some new Oakleys, Tour de France style. I do, yeah. I do. And I've actually got uh, so the ones that Cav's been wearing as well, those big wrappers. And he didn't the, pay the retail. Reason. Uh, no, I didn't pay repail. Actually, didn't pay anything at all. So, uh, but I've got another set of as well. Good. So, yeah, um, Matt, I'll definitely send you two, three, maybe four pairs. Wow! Yeah, well, there you go. Hey, hold into that, Matt. Hold maybe, into that. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Dale Simmons goes. Has Jonesy been on the lung lollies with Wigo? <laughs> you should get the guitar, mate. We're all joking and stirring up, but Dan is very talented with the guitar and uh, the sing-alongs. Uh, Tour de France trips in the past, Dan would uh, drag out the guitar, and I remember some nights with you and Giz. Our, our, our oh yeah, Giz, that was great fun. Yeah. Absolutely sensational nights. But anyway, oh, okay. I was never. Well, you're, always <laughs> you're busy. busy. You actually you're doing work. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey so Phil, you, you, sorry, yeah. guys. Um, Johnny, you just yeah. mentioned it. I'm sure the viewers, um, the listeners like to hear the backstory there. You say Jizz, uh, who was, who's a British, he was British, English? Was he English? I can't remember. So um, he owns a chateau in France that we used to stay at or Johnny used to organise um, yeah. for his group to stay at several times whenever we're in that region, go back to his amazing chateau. It's almost like that... Um, that uh, what is it the chateau show that's been on? My mum loves it yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so kind of like that. Now he was a session guitarist for Status Quo, so definitely that's a right. very very good guitarist. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Dan used to love it. You'd pick up the yeah. axe and the two of them so, would go at it. So, he, like, yeah. he, was a, he was a Dutch-born Englishman, and he had, had he ended up having his own uh, a studio in London, uh, and he was very successful and sold it all up and, and moved to France as a lot of them do, and. Uh, with his uh, lovely wife Marika, and uh, I haven't—I've lost his email because he moved to another, to up just near on the border of Brittany somewhere to a lovely home. We stayed with him. You were there, Dan, one time, mm. and uh, a great night. But I've lost his uh, email address. So, uh, oh. yeah, good guy. We, good we guy, need to ask the viewers, need to ask the listeners to send in a bunch of questions. Or at least some requests to ask Dan to at least, if you can't sing tonight, of course, um, with his voice, but at least pay the idea, Scott. Just show us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, well, Kirsty says, Kirsty will donate to Kareka if I play a song. So, Phil, Kirstie, I have to do it for the Fair Nation. You better get to the bank. We'll make this Just tell me what tell me what classic <laughs> song you want. I'll play it. I won't be able to sing, but I've closed the no, show. No, not tonight. Not tonight. No, no, wait, let's wait until you get your voice okay. back and right. do it properly because we, we can't waste a talent like that, Dan. That's well, right. I'm and really it is a being part of this show, and I would love you to see us play us out maybe on this Chancelise. Who knows? But uh, okay. yeah, why not? Well, if you donate, if we get to 35 grand, I'll do it. 
But we have we'll to get to that target. Another couple of hundred dollars last night. Thank you very much. Well, that's indeed. it. Yeah. You could be just. You could uh, do desperado with that voice, though. That'd be perfect. Oh yeah, <laughs> or some sort of Joe Cocker. It needs that real husky. <laughs> so that website, come on, guys. K a r i e g a dot c o. Well, Marika's almost got the name pronounced perfectly. Marika, now it's Kareka. Kareka Kareka. Peloton. That's it. Yeah. Make sure you donate and put in your request. I hear, John, that you've invited my wife to take my place on the rest day on Monday. Well, you, you, gave the, you, you gave us oh, the flip. You gave us the lemonade and sass on the rest day. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, and, they're releasing the film on Monday, so I've got and, so much. And, that's right. And uh, your wife jumped in and offered her fantastic services. Well, we can't have Mr. Liggett. Well, if we'll ever, Mrs. Liggett. Mm. Well, a Liggett with a bit of personality is great. She gate she gate crashed my voice of cycling films. She's a bigger star than me on it, and now she's oh, taking yeah. it over my job on the podcast. I'll have oh, no work by the end of this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and I've got to. I actually met Mrs. Liggett Patricia uh, before I met Phil. So when when you I did. went over What's there in nineteen seventy three, racing uh, full seasons amateurs, organised by the great Ron Webb, walked into yeah. the Ron Webb's office in London. Went just off, uh, out of the taxi, covered in. Uh, uh, I was actually dripping wet because I arrived about a week later than the other boys, fagging out of my mouth. And there was Ron <laughs> Webb's PA, Patricia, yeah, yeah. Patricia Liggett. So there she you wasn't going to let you in either because she didn't no. believe you were a cyclist, that's for sure. <laughs> no, she didn't, she did not. But we became you know, very good ready. mates. You know, you, yeah, you, know, you can't say that anymore, absolutely. John. You can't, you can't say what? that anymore. Can't say what? Have a fag hanging out of your mouth. You wouldn't want Politi to, though, would Politically you? incorrect these days. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Ron Webb. No, you mentioned Ron Webb. Give us some backstory. There are plenty of people listening that won't know who Ron Webb um, was. He's now the late Ron Webb. But he is Badly. instrumental in the world of cycling and track cycling in particular. Well, Ron Webb was an Australian who went over uh, racing uh, in, in the 60s and uh, probably in the late 50s into the 60s, racing mainly behind the big motors. But uh, I've, got, I've seen stacks of wonderful photos with, with all the superstars of that time. He was right up there. You know, I think he placed, he ran places in world uh, uh, motocross, the, the big motors, these great big motorbikes and uh, a huge sport in Germany. And mm. he retired, stayed on. So he never ever came back to Australia. So he stayed on and became uh, very successful with uh, Skull Brewing and, and all of that. And he and he had his own indoor track that he used to go around the world. So he used to run the Skull Six Day, and and, yep. and I think uh, one in uh, in Denmark as well. He used to run yeah, the three thing. Um, but what he did for us, he just said to Australian Cycling, "Look, if you want to send some young Australians over, I will organise their races for the year." So we did firstly the Olympic team of '72 and a couple of others. We went over there and. Ron Webb just organised everything. We just went from race to race. All our expenses got paid. It was just something that had never happened in Australian cycling. It was a chance of a lifetime. And we made a lifetime friend, lifelong friend. And I was lucky enough yeah. to uh, spend uh, a couple of days with him. Only a couple of years ago, he came over uh, and spent a couple of days uh, over at Tour de France. And uh, we had dinner and that it was just wonderful. Uh, and sadly, he, he passed away just last year. But uh, a legend yeah. of a man. And he built he uh, as... As you know, he, he then took over from the Sherman, the great uh, track builder, building the, the, the bike tracks. He built most of the tracks in Australia and most of the tracks around the world, all the Olympic all games. All the Olympic games, all the Olympic games. He built most of those. So, yeah, absolutely amazing guy and funny. 
quick, quick-witted, uh, just an absolute character of a man. Yeah. I, I raced yeah, on a, a few of those I, tracks. I, don't forget, he, even even from Europe, uh, he got every rider that took part in the first Tour Down Under contracted. When riders didn't want to go to the first Tour Down Under, Australia in January, when they're all doing their off-season training, not interested in riding a bike, now they're supposed to race. But that race is now what always number one on the list. It is such a popular bike race. We spoke with Stuart O'Grady yesterday, who's now the, the new race director of that event. Uh, Ron contracted all the riders for years yeah. uh, for that uh, tour down under. Yeah. So he's, he did so much for Australia, yet he lived in England after he came over here. Yeah. Hey, we've got Matt White. He's joining us live oh, from wow. the start of the Tour de France. Whitey, uh, well, obviously it's, it's, devastating... Yesterday, Hold on. With, uh, can I just say goodbye, Lucas. Dan? Do you mind? Oh, okay, sorry, Phil's going to go. Uh, if I no could worries, just, mate. Uh, nice, you're in, I'm out, Matty. But uh, NBC were delighted with what you did for us yesterday, and thank you so much. Yep, no problem, Phil. No problem. And let's have, let's hope you have a much better day today, mate. Everyone, well, have really you get much work, <laughs> See you, Phil. Yeah. See you, Phil. Yeah. And, and by the way, for everybody who saw my, my screamers in black, look, they're waking up now. I've got pictures. See that? Ooh. So that's usually a sign oh, I better go and do some work. <laughs> Good on you, yeah, Phil. Mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Take it easy. I, I don't uh, know what you said, Whitey. Uh, I don't know what you said last uh, last night on the show with uh, with uh, Phil, but the minute you came on, he said, I'm going. So you've obviously upset him, Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I had him on. Uh, I saw him in the car a couple of times uh, in the race yesterday. Yeah, you say, you say. But yeah, we were just saying earlier, mate. We're obviously all gutted um, with what happened yesterday. Um, yeah, tragic circumstances. Whenever there's a crash, but uh, obviously with the guys leaving the Tour de France, but obviously they're they're wanting to ride the Olympics as well. It's um, yeah, not an ideal situation, mate. No, it's not. Uh... Both look, look. The Olympics is the Olympics is not uh, over for those two. Uh, the injuries we need to we need to give it another seventy two hours uh, because mm -hmm. they're they're certainly not out of the Olympic Games, but uh, not ideal preparation. But uh, let's let the medical team decide that. Um, but it's they both went home today. Where someone was driving Lucas home to Drona, and uh, Simon's partner came and picked him up from the hotel. Only uh, both uh, both both places only two hours from here, and then. Uh, the plan for Simon was to was is to uh, was to go to the Olympics on Monday anyway. Um, he was going, and I think that that plan is that plan is not changing. And with Lucas, we're just going to see what happens over the next seventy two hours and uh, see how the shoulder pulls up because it's, it's it's a dislocation, but it was a pretty mild one. And uh, yeah, he's just ridden two weeks of the Tour de France, so in a couple of days rest, he uh, it might come up okay, mate. Um, we were talking earlier on the show, uh, we had a viewer question and it was like, well, okay, if there's mountain stages coming up, is it all chips in for Chavez? And then what's the plan of attack, obviously, with Bling as well? Well, I, th I think uh, the way the race has panned out and the way that uh, UAE are riding the race is I expect another big break to go down the road today. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one today because it's, it's a solid day, um, but it's also a day that, could entice some some uh, not just a, not just a pure climbers to go because I, I don't see an interest from the rivals of Pochica, uh to push the pace once the break has gone today. So I think once that right combination can go, that that could take a while. But uh, I don't see any team with the uh, with the 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 will 
to bring it back today, knowing what's on tomorrow? Mm. If um, he, what do you, what do you got? Um, so it's four days in a row now. We think about you know the green jersey with Michael, um, also Philipson, as John's already mentioned tonight. That uh, you know he's come much closer now. So for pure speed, even if Cavendish was to to not uh, you know get through to Paris, Philipson would be a big danger uh, for Michael. But these four days, it's a real slow burn for the sprinters, isn't it? So you know what are you expecting from Michael? And of course, you know, Cav, who, who seems to be on form of his life, but now these four days in a row in the mountains, it's going to be pretty tough for all of those guys at the back of the group. Yeah, I think for the, for the pure sprinters, it's about survival. Uh, the, the good news for Cav is we haven't got too many days where there's climbs straight out of the holes. Uh, so, you know, there, there might be four mountain days in a row, but uh, today might be hard, a harder day than one of the Queen stages because it's going to be raced in such an intensity. The time cut's going to be lower, and if you if you are in, er, in trouble early, you, you're going to spend a long day behind. Um, whereas with the climbs are in the second half of the stage, you know you've just got to get through, and then you know, the Groupetto doesn't form like it used to, but uh, they're easier stages to survive. So the, it's it's pretty clear from us we uh, we need to take points in the immediate sprint when we know that Philipson and Cav are not going to be there, and that involves you- making the breakaway. So. Can you explain me that? today? It's mentioned... going to be Sunday. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, mate. Um, you just mentioned how the group header doesn't form like it used to. Just for for the people at home, can you explain why that is and what the difference is? Yeah, I suppose before uh, the riders, I suppose, had a little bit more respect for each other and a bit more common sense. I reckon. Uh, you know, if there's now the the, rise, the guys just push on, push on until they end up they end up catching each other eventually anyway. But back in the day, we used, you know, the riders used to talk to each other, and you know, yeah, you know, if there was two climbs to go and the pace was not really on, people, you know, people would call Gruppetto, and a group would form who weren't, who couldn't do their work for their leaders anymore, and were just looking to get through the through the rest of the day. Now they'll they'll push on over one climb, or there'll be four different groups, and eventually they'll ride back into each other. But uh, they could save a hell of a lot more energy if they rode a little bit smarter. Yeah, if he, yeah, they're not that smart anymore, mate. Exactly right. They used to always be. Oh, his phone's blown up. What is gone? But he's he great to, insight again. Yeah, but there used to always yeah. be a, a captain of the group, a certain guy who was actually in charge of it, and he would set the pace so they would, you know, set a pace that so they could all get over on a climb and then work like. Uh, the clappers uh, down the other side and on any flat ground in between and then ride steady up the climb. But always one guy in charge who was you know, the boss of that gruppetto. Yeah, and, and Johnny, I reckon, say, in my time, it was a lot of the Italian riders. You know, gruppetto is, you know, it's the Italian word for, for, the, for the back group. And, um, you know, I remember it was always, uh, the Italians were all, always very vocal, I must say, um, but they would be the ones calling gruppetto. And it might not go whenever they called it, it might go a little bit further, um, but yeah, there is just no Italians anymore. There is so few Italians in the race now, um, yeah. and obviously these young group riders. Uh, it certainly has changed quite dramatically. It's interesting hearing that because we're looking so much at the front of the race and what goes on there that we don't actually get that insight from what's happening behind and the survival of the sprinters and how that. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Oh, it's a hilly stage, so the riders, the sprinters, and their lead-out men, they just form a nice little group and roll turns to the end. It's not quite as simple as that. It never was. But it's certainly nowhere near like that now, but it's, as what he just explained. So that's great insight. He's oh, back. Yeah. <laughs> Is that on the iPhone or BlackBerry? 
This is an iPhone. And, mate, sitting in a car with no AC on, I'll give you about seven minutes before this thing cooks up as well. <laughs> well, well, mate, we really appreciate, obviously, the time that you give us because, you know, I know it's bloody hectic, the Tour de France. So um, even when that BlackBerry does blow up, mate, we appreciate all the insights regardless. So, who, who's your pick for today? Uh, what do you think will happen? Mate, picking today, it'd be probably easier to pick the buddy supplementary number in the lottery, I reckon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, any, any, any one of 40 or 50 riders could go up the road. Uh, uh, it's but, yeah, gone. Yep. It, it won't be anyone in the top 12 on GC, that's for sure. Okay. Right. <laughs> top 13. Hopefully not that one in the top 13, just from 14 onwards. <laughs> Which is Esteban. <laughs> ideally for us ideally for us we we've got multiple guys in the breakaway uh it'd be really it'd be good to have esteban in there be good to have michael matthews in there i know our big guys are going to try and uh let's see how long it takes it could uh it could go quick but i i highly doubt it and i would think that it's going to be a pretty uh pretty intense first hour of racing uh yesterday had the potential to be that but the uh that we turned onto a narrow road after in about 420k and two or three of the sprint teams, teams were able to block the road after that three-man break left, and that was it. Um, we couldn't; the guys couldn't get out of there, and that was uh, that was all she wrote for the for the chance of a breakaway. But geez, yesterday's course was a sketchy one, I tell you. Like I've seen a few, I've seen a r- few rough courses in the Tour de France, but that I, I should have taken account of how many roundabout speed humps. Narrow roads, narrow towns, and then uh, to top it off, we had uh, we had loose gravel on a descent. On a, on a descent, the boys were doing about sixty k an hour on. So it was a rough day yesterday. It was a rough day. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, stay yeah. safe today, mate. That's the main thing, I suppose. Um, the, uh, given so, the hectic... so, um, they they have street sweepers and things like that ahead of the race. What do you what what got through to the keeper on that one? Because normally they'd be looking after gravel and all those sorts of things. It's unusual for ASO. It is. It is. I don't know. Look, it was. It was a pretty. It was like one of those roads that hadn't been sealed properly, and they did say that they they went through with the sweeper. Maybe because of the the the, the angle of the climb, it didn't work properly. I know when I was out of the car looking after Lucas, the side of the road was was real deep, like real deep. So it would only take one person to break, and then other people just slid. And yeah, that's why twenty guys went off on the right hand side. But uh, th- those guys were going fast, and they said they 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 said they swept the road, but uh, obviously uh, obviously not well enough. Uh, we our riders knew we had a bunk course. We told them that there was loose gravel on the road, but it doesn't matter if you know if someone crashes in front of you or uh, yeah, someone makes a mistake. Now it had a, it had a, a big domino effect as we saw yesterday. We've got a stat on the roundabouts from yesterday. Thanks to Benji, Benji, ninety-seven roundabouts, roundabouts on yesterday's stage. That would have to be up there. Yeah, yeah, and, then, and that's that, and then that's not including as we know all towns now are putting in speed humps. Every single mm. town we went through, there's you know speed humps in the town, going out, exiting the town. It was it was a really hectic, nervous stage today, and actually the the wind was actually down. Uh, it could have been. Could have been a lot windier. Could have been a lot more stressful. And uh, at the end, it didn't work out that well for us. Mm. All right, mate. Anything else you want to add? If you no, before no, we let go. Oh, yeah. One question, because uh, Matty Keenan asked me to ask you, why don't Durbo and Spratty wear their Australian colours 
as former national champions on their sleeves, like most other riders in other teams do. Within it, is there any reason why they don't do it? Just to... That's a good question, uh, which I haven't got an answer to. Uh, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> What's that? I said, carry on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually, uh, I was actually under the assumption that that rule changed actually a couple of years ago. That they, because uh, I know that it was getting a bit out of hand. There was people who had won junior world soccer cross championships who were putting rainbow bands on their uh, on their shirts. And I know uh, they usually I did change the rules. Um, I just can't remember any of our guys actually in the past uh, having uh, the green and gold stripes after they after they exited wearing the national championships jersey. So it's not just Durbo and. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember Gero having green and gold on his jersey after he was national champion. Nor, nor Edmo. So yeah, that's a good question, which I haven't got an answer to. Okay. Yep. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um. Uh, one. One more for you from me, mate. Um. You mentioned how hot it is, so we'll, hopefully we'll let you go in a, in a minute. But uh, with the temperatures down south, much hotter. Uh, Pogacar has been quite vocal about how he doesn't like the heat so much. Do you think the teams? We'll try and force that and make it hard on these hot stages and, and try and do something for the overall. Or are they more racing for seconds? Well, uh, the tactics of Ineos the other day clearly they 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 wanted they wanted to put him under pressure. I don't I don't think. Well, he he has he has been very successful in the Welter. He has won the Tour de France as well. He might not enjoy the heat. But I think with some of those guys, they struggle sometimes in their first exposure to the heat. Uh, and I think they do get better. Um, it's been a very, very mild summer over here. And look, it's, it's warm today. It's 30 degrees. But it's not, we're not talking 40 degrees. We're not talking extreme temperatures. And I think the guys do get pretty acclimatised pretty quickly. Um, I think, yeah, let's, let's see how things go. I think if we see any more weaknesses in him, which I don't think we've actually seen a weakness at all. But if we do see any fault, him faltering in the next 48 hours, maybe that might change uh, in the back end of the Pyrenees. But uh, like I said, it's you know it's not 40 degrees. It's 30. It's manageable. And I think the other day he just had a bad moment and made a wise decision just to go back with the guys behind him and not push, uh, push the limits when there was a 25-kilometre descent to the line. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Thank Whitey, for joining the show, mate. We really appreciate it. We'll uh, check in again tomorrow and stay safe today. Yeah, you too, mate. And get onto get onto the strep soles. Oh no! Don't get me started. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Speak to you soon, buddy. See you, gents. Uh, well, boys, we what, are going what? over time. And I said to you, John, let's keep it short and sharp. We're fifty-seven minutes. We haven't run the ads yet. Let's go to the ads, and we're going to wrap the Giro Donna after the break, uh, and we'll try and get it around an hour. Uh, see you at the other end of the break. The Let's Go Motorhomes app has everything at the tip of your finger. From car parks to campgrounds, tips and tricks, the app makes your road trip smoother. This is the way to go. Download the Let's Go Motorhomes app today. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. It's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match. 
but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Thanks again to Let's Go Motorhomes and, of course, a bike exchange. And don't forget, uh, the best contributor will get a $500 Let's Go Motorhome voucher each week. Uh, we've settled on wow. contributor, not question. Yeah. So just stay involved. We had some great comments today, lots of laughs. And uh, Ify, your bread and butter, the Giro Adonna. It was a bit of carnage uh, overnight, mate. Yes, uh, unfortunately, uh, getting towards the finale, I think it was about 10, uh, inside the last 10K, there's three bike exchange girls down in the one crash there. Um, it was Spratty, uh, Grace Brown, and uh, young, is it Georgia Williams, the uh, Kiwi? Mm. A- and, um, yeah, they managed to get up, uh, but uh, Grace has had to withdraw. Um, hopefully she'll still be all right for the Olympics because she's uh, going to be a, 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 a big show over there in uh, in Tokyo. But uh, uh, ended up being a, a bunch finish, and I've got the I've got the the uh, placings. Lorena Weebs. Yeah, Lorena Weebs uh, won the kick in from uh, Emma Northgard and Maria Spalato. Uh, Lisa Bernal, and overall nothing's changed. We've still got the the, the, the girls in front. You've got uh, Anna, Anna Van, uh, Van der Breggen uh, with her teammate Ashley uh, Moomin Passio at 2.55. Demi Vollering at three minutes, and I think Spratty's dropped down one place to 13th now. But uh, tonight is their big chance. It's a, a real uh, mountain change with a mountain uh, with an uh, uphill summit finish. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'll see if there could be any cracks uh, in, in the Dutch girls, but uh, I, I think they're pretty. They're looking very strong. All right, who's your pretty? Oh, sorry, Scotty. That's right, mate. Um, tonight is a, a uh, an opportunity for Anna van der Breggen to extend her lead in the overall classification. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it's going to go. She's just so so dominant. And then it's one more sprint stage. The question um, I wouldn't mind putting to to the team, actually, the Aussie team, is. Um, with Sarah Roy. They, they haven't really been lining her up in the sprints. Um, I'd love to know why that is. I know a couple of days ago they went all in for Spratty for the overall classification and sacrificed uh, Sarah for it. But, you know, Commander is a fair way down. She's eight, almost nine minutes down on the overall classification now after the crash from last night. But she was already a long way down. Um, and, yeah, with, with no insight whatsoever from me, the question is, you know, why would they not have at least given... Um, some sort of push towards Sarah Roy as the Aussie champ who can sprint to have a real crack in one of these sprint stages. Maybe it's the last stage, we'll see. Maybe. Save it for the last day. Yep. All right, boys, prediction stage 14. Who do you think is going to win? Obviously, Whitey said it's a chook lotto. There's 50 riders that he think can win. You're willing to throw the dart at the dartboard? Who do you think, Scooter? Um, Alaphilippe. He's going to have another crack. He's been in every move so far, and maybe this is the one that's going to stick. Mm. He's done a lot of work though. He doesn't look fresh. That's the only problem. Well, Van Ert. Well, Van Ert. Well, Van Ert. Uh, I think there was a comment on uh, who the top guys were in the stage. I'm trying to bring that up, and I've lost it. Um, so just talk amongst yourselves, well, guys. Uh, oh, here we go. Past- 
well, doesn't it? He's incredible. Yeah. And he says the boogies like Van Ert, Alaphilippe, Mahorik, and Azgreen for today. So okay. that's probably – I'll just run with that. Good on you, Andy. You've <laughs> saved us having to do a prediction. <laughs> narrowed it down to four. Hey, fellas, really appreciate you being on the show. I've got to go. I think the boys are going to – uh, order some dominoes, so I've got priorities. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll see you again tomorrow night, guys. Remember, like, share, subscribe, youtube.com forward slash detour podcast, and keep donating to the Kareka Foundation, uh, kareka.co.za forward slash Peloton. It's a great cause. We'll see you again tomorrow, hopefully, uh, with some lemon tea and some honey. I'll be back. Hey. And requests for you to, to get requests. the car out. So what songs they That's want. It. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Desperado. As long as it's in that 90s power ballad sweet spot, we're on the right track. So And, anyway. to, and, to, and to make sure we make it even as best as it can be, uh, I won't do my normal backup singing with you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'll join you. you in that one, John. I'll join yeah. you. <laughs> okay. No worries. Right. We'll see you again tomorrow night, guys. Thanks again. Yeah. Cheers. Bye.